Our first reading comes from the uh, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, reading from verses 57 to the end of 61. Matthew 26, verses 57 to the end of 61. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, if you could turn with me again to the wonderful Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to be reading on from where we read before. So that will be Matthew chapter 26 and, uh, and reading through from 62 um, over to 60, 68. So that's Matthew chapter 26 and starting at 62. Let's hear from God's word. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? Friends, as we take a closer look at God's word, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to this amazing scene, we we pray, Father God, that you would quieten our hearts and open our hearts so that you could speak to us through it, the truth of it. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Jesus replied, friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. And with that, Caiaphas and the rest of the religious establishment finally have their man. All they needed, as Matthew told us last week, was a sly way to get their hands on him away from the crowds. 
And after watching that crazy woman tip $70,000 down Jesus' head and then listening to his crazy response, Jesus makes up his mind, Judas makes up his mind to offer them his services. What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And friends, that, those 30 pieces has been money well spent. Jesus now in custody and on his way to a very special, very important midnight sitting of the Sanhedrin. But friends, before we take our seats and, and have a closer look at how this special meeting goes down, there are a few observations from his arrest that we should take with us into that courtroom. A couple of important facts so that we are the full bottle on the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth as Jesus is dragged into that dock. So if you have your Bibles with you, please back up to that heading that reads, Jesus Arrested. And friends, once you're there, we all know, don't we, that, that what follows is one of the most well-known stories in the entire Bible. Indeed, so well-known, if you asked a non-Christian about it, now chances are they'd be get pretty close to what I just read out before. And Judas, his betrayer, knows where Jesus is spending the night. And so he takes them to the spot and kisses Jesus to identify him. He is then seized and taken in. And then this person might remark, it's a sad and tragic betrayal. But friends, when you go to Matthew's account and read through it, well, you notice he provides a bit of extra detail into this basic scene. He doesn't stop where I stopped before. And friends, that's because he wants us to know what is actually going on here is much, much more than simply a sad story of betrayal. And so with this in mind, let's pick it up straight after Judas gives him that infamous kiss, middle of verse 50. And then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And with that violent response, we see, don't we, where exactly the disciples are at in this moment. That is, this is where our battle for freedom begins. And friends, if we hit the pause button right there, what we have in this moment of swords drawn and blood spilt is a scenario that is very, very well known, isn't it? Now, wherever you go in the world, chances are you'll find stories of a corrupt establishment being challenged by a courageous leader and his group of loyal freedom fighters. And right here, the disciples are following that script. And with the enemy on unfamiliar ground in the dark and now on the back foot, this now is the moment where their leader, Israel's true and rightful king, seizes the advantage. Verse 
All they need now is the word from him. And so the king speaks. But friends, look at what he says. Put your sword back in its place. Put it back. And with that command, Jesus goes completely off script. That well-known, that well-worn path is not going to be followed here. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. That well-worn path is a road to nowhere. Peace is never secured in this way. Jesus, with the greatest respect, catchy, idealistic proverbs are not going to win these guys over. They haven't come to hear you preach. You've been betrayed. You have been outplayed. And now the only protection between them and you is us. Not so, says Jesus. Verse 53, have a look at it. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legion of angels? I've got more protection than you guys could possibly imagine. But these thousands upon thousands of heavenly warriors are not going to be called upon. And the reason is this. Verse 54. How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? It must happen this way. And friends, with that little situational update from the king, in an instant we see why there is such a massive gap between the disciples' understanding of the situation and Jesus' understanding. And friends, to be clear, that division has nothing to do with the disciples not believing or trusting what the Scriptures say about the Messiah. No, Peter, John and all the rest firmly believe what the Scriptures say about the Christ will certainly happen. So what's the problem then? Well, friends, the problem is this. The disciples interpret the scriptures with fallen, imperfect eyes, while Jesus does not. And so with their sinful blinkers on, the disciples see only the part of the story the bit where God's king is victorious and them basking in his glory. While Jesus, with no such blinkers on, sees the whole story. Yes, he will rule, but not before he goes down. Before the sun is exalted to the highest place, he must first ascend to the lowest. Jesus has spoken about this truth right throughout his ministry. And now this very truth is playing out. 
So no earthly or heavenly backup required. The scriptures must be fulfilled. And these guys, Judas and the rest, are all playing their part. And so he fills them in too. Verse 55. Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Now, friends, Jesus' words to them here certainly flies right over the head. Whatever, Jesus, you toast. Later on, though, Paul will write about their blindness and ignorance with these words. Have a listen. We speak of God's secret wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before the world began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have killed the Lord of glory. And so the Lord of glory, armed with perfect knowledge of the scriptures, submits to his captors, knowing his capture will set captives free, all to be revealed on the third day. The disciples will soon see it. But right now, all they see is their vision of the Messiah going up in smoke. And so seeing no fight in him, it's flight for them. Verse 56, then all the disciples deserted deserted him and fled. And so abandoned and alone. Jesus is dragged into this urgent, special meeting of the Sanhedrin. Well, perhaps that's what they would have called it. But friends, let's call it for what it is. It's a show trial. It's a kangaroo court. Verse 59, have a look. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But there's just a little snag, just a slight problem, verse 60. They did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. So what they were hoping for, to be a nice, straightforward proceeding, is turning out to be not so straightforward after all. The stories and the people telling them are so contradictory and ridiculous. Caiaphas and his cronies simply can't bring themselves to bring down that guilty verdict. It would be funny if it wasn't so sad and blatantly evil. And so the court proceedings drag on and on. The desperation in the room growing every minute as it becomes clearer and clearer who the guilty party truly is. Anyway, Matthew writes, finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Now, now friends, in case you aren't aware, that's not what Jesus said at all. 
Now he said to the Pharisees, John 2.19, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. In other words, Jesus doesn't say he's going to touch a brick. Now the challenge is for the Pharisees. Why does Jesus challenge them in this way? Well, because as John goes on to tell us, the temple he is daring them to destroy is himself. And now it looks like they're finally going to take Jesus up on that challenge. Because hearing this apparent threat on the temple, Caiaphas raises to his feet, rises to his feet. Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Now, friends, it's not that often that all four gospel writers make mention of the same incident. But Jesus' silence in that courtroom is one of them. And friends, I suspect they all mention it because Jesus' silence is as powerful as anything he has ever said out loud. Because silent is the last thing a person is when their life is on the line. Especially in a setting like this, when you are hit with false allegation, twisted quotes, one after the other after the other. But amongst it all, Jesus gives them absolutely nothing. And poor old Caiaphas simply can't take it anymore, can he? Are you not going to respond? Are you not going to answer these allegations brought against you? But Jesus' silence gives him his answer. We all know what's going on here, Caiaphas, and it's not about getting to the truth. And so Jesus' lack of words has the effect of flipping the entire scene on its head. It's the high priest who can't be quiet. It's the high priest who's in panic mode. While Jesus, the true judge, calmly stands there and watches the show. This sham, this joke of a trial carrying on around him. But the show must go on. And so Caiaphas presses him. I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And friends, with that question, finally Jesus has something worth speaking to. Yes, it is as you say. And having answered Caiaphas in the affirmative, Jesus doesn't now go back to silent mode, does he? Now he now has a word for Caiaphas. Just as he had a word for Peter when he confessed him correctly. But while Jesus told Peter the Christ, the Son of God, will die, he here says to Caiaphas, the Christ, the Son of God, will live. Indeed, He will hold everyone's life in his hand. 
I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. It is as you say, Caiaphas. And so you need to know, my future is not in your hands. Nor is my future in the ground. And so when you condemn me and send me out of your sight, remember this, we are going to see each other again, but under very, very different circumstances. And friends, when the Son of God, when the Christ breaks his silence and looks you straight in the eye and tells you that, we've got to wonder if it caused the entire room to suddenly plunge into total and complete silence. That seems that way, doesn't it? Because there is no sudden uproar from the crowd. No response, nothing at all. Until Caiaphas, in a big theatrical display, tears his clothes and says, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? Come on, say something. And put on the spot. The jury have to come through. Or it will be them next in that dock. He is worthy of death, they answered. And so the gavel finally comes down. And with it finally done, finally over, the scene closes with these Righteous lawyers, these pillars of society, converging on Jesus, spitting and punching him in the face, others slapping him about and demanding he prophesy as to who hit him. But friends, you can be sure Jesus fell silent again. And as he silently absorbs their evil, jealous hatred, before we think we would have behaved any differently at all. Look at what Matthew does in the very next verse. He takes us straight to Jesus' bravest and closest ally. And as the punching and the spitting and the mocking goes on, there's Peter, vehemently denying any association with Jesus whatsoever. While Jesus is silent, Peter's mouth is going a mile a minute, doing all he can to make sure he isn't dragged down the same path as him. And friends, as Peter did, so too would have we. For that path is just too horrendous. It is just too horrific to even contemplate. But Jesus, as we see so clearly, both in his arrest and now in his trial, willingly and calmly takes this horrific path. And friends, that's because this path, as Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, has said all along, is for him and him alone. He and only he is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. And for that to be so, the Christ must go into battle. 
but not against the Jews or the Romans, but against the accusation that charges each and every one of us as enemies of God. And friends, that battle will be done and it will be won on a cross. Taking the spit, taking the hit, the nails, the thorns, the lot for us. It's all in the scriptures and the Christ won't deviate from it. One iota. And so he leaves the the legions of angels, the heavenly warriors in their place and humbly submits to the punishment here and all the way to the cross. For Isaiah 53.5, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And friends, as we witness Isaiah 53 playing out through the eyes of Matthew and contemplate it over Easter, we aren't to feel angry nor are we to pity or feel sorry for Jesus in any way. Rather, this is a moment to stand in wonder and awe as the Christ, the Son of God, who has stepped into human history, now steps into your, into my personal history and takes the punishment for our personal rebellion against God. This is it. This is where Jesus fights the battle for you and wins. How is this win received? Well, it's received through faith. That's it. Listen to Paul's assurance of this. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing, guaranteeing what is to come. What is to come? Well, friends, let me finish with the final promise of Scripture that the Christ, the Son of God, will fulfill when seated at the right hand of God, he returns. comes from Revelation chapter 21. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write these words down. For they are trustworthy and true. Friends, let's pray. Uh, Father, at this time, especially at this time of year, uh, we can read about Jesus' arrest and his trial and everything that comes and, and feel overwhelmed. 
Uh, Father, we can feel sorrow, we can feel anger. But most of all, Lord, as we see so clearly through Matthew's account, that this is about the powerful Son of God, the Christ, fulfilling the Scriptures. And what courage it took to see all that through. Father, we thank you for our wonderful, powerful, loving Saviour. We can never fully comprehend what he went through for us, but went through it he did. And so we praise you and praise him. We thank you so much for him. Father, help us never to diminish in our hearts and minds what Jesus has done for us. And Father God, we thank you that through simple but sure faith, we are included in the promises of the scriptures. And as Jesus said, every single word will be fulfilled and fulfilled in full. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.